So would you turn in your Bibles uh, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, I've been reading this very interesting book on the Apostle Paul and really been loving it. And it's sort of been opening my eyes a little bit more to some of his letters. And this letter has been such an interesting letter the last few weeks as Paul deals with these super apostles. Maybe you've remembered the last couple of, of, of lessons and you've been here and sermons and you realize too that these braggarts, these boasters who seem to be slandering the Apostle Paul, um, saying that his preaching is amounts to nothing and that he, he's bold in his letters but when he gets in, up in person in front of the church that he's weak and they claim to be in a lot of ways, is equal or even his superior. And so he has to deal with them and talk to them because there's a lot of problems they're creating within the church. Uh, when you start gossiping or slandering about people, that's not something that stays stagnant, but it grows inside the church. In fact, usually it produces more of the same. And it causes the church to have different things, problems, quarrels, jealousies, infighting, hostility, uh, arguments, disunity. And so Paul continues on in chapter 12 talking about these guys and they must have been bragging about miracles and visions. So Paul, as you know in chapter 11, talks about he will boast in his weaknesses. That's what we looked at last week. He will boast in his weaknesses and he talked about all of the different things he went through just so that he could plant a church in the city of Corinth. He talked about the famine and the hunger and the beatings and the shipwrecks. He talked about imprisonment and arrest and being let down from a basket. He talked about being beaten with rods and whips. Five times he received 39 lashes minus, or 40 lashes minus one, or 39. So he continues on boasting in his sort of cynical way because he is boasting not in the things that these guys are boasting in, but rather something quite different. And he moves on to talking about visions. We're going to discuss some interesting things this morning. So let's read our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. You see his cynical kind of nature. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I, to keep from becoming conceited because of the surpassing, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, 
that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool, but you forced me to it. For I ought to have commended, been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what way were you less favored than the rest of the churches except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me of this wrong. Now you folks that like cynical talk, do you hear it? He said, I didn't burden you. Forgive me of this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours but you. Paul says, I'm not after what you have, I'm after you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. For your soul. If I love you more, am I, loved, am I to be loved less? By granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say. I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? The answer to that question is no. Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Well, we've been dealing with these super apostles for quite some time and the havoc that they've reached in the, the church of Corinth and the slandering of Paul and the name calling. And Paul moves on to these heavenly dreams and visions. Why does he do that? Probably because these super apostles have been bragging about their visions that they've had. So Paul begins to speak in the third person, much like in the book of John, in Revelations, or in even, I think, maybe the last chapter of, of, of John 21 and John 20, sometimes John speaks of himself in the third person. So Paul is doing that here. And he tells them about a time that he was caught up into paradise. He wasn't sure if it was a vision or a dream, or he wasn't sure if he was actually in the body, in his physical body. He says it was 14 years ago, so we can imagine... If this letter was written somewhere around 57 A.D., that perhaps it was in A.D. 43 or so, some 10 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus, he could have been in Antioch, he could have been down in Jerusalem, maybe he was even in Arabia, hard to know. But in, in this time, 
Simply, he, he would rather people hear the preaching of the word of God than the recalling of heavenly visions. And he gives two reasons for why he has never told anyone about this event until now. Number one, he would rather people hear the gospel. He talks about, I'd rather them hear the words that I'm preaching. Number two, some of the things that he is saying, he doesn't even think can be uttered. And by the way, does Paul ever give in this letter a detailed account of what happened in his vision in the third heaven? The answer to that question is no. He never says what happened. He never says what's uttered because that is not the point. The point is that God humbled him and gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, I guess is what Paul says, so that he might boast not in his visions and miracles, but in his weaknesses. Because God's power is not made perfect in miracles and in visions and in dreams and in special wonders and signs. God's power is made perfect in weakness. It's hard to say what Paul meant by the third heaven. Uh, it's during this time that Jewish scholars believed in seven levels of heaven and that seems really weird to us um, we are and Christians in general in the last 2,000 years have sort of gotten their idea of heaven through the Apostle Paul and in fact many Christians believe that you have the atmosphere that's the first you know you talk about God made the heavens and the earth right he caused to make this idea that we have the atmosphere number two the universe, God made the solar system and the galaxies, the second heaven, as some people would say it is. And then the third, which would be known as paradise. A lot of Christians, because of the Apostle Paul, have sort of gotten that idea that that's what we're talking about. Paradise would be where God is, the throne of God, the angels, etc. But Paul lists all of these things not to give us a detailed account of what heaven is or what the atmosphere of the solar system is. That's not why Paul wrote it. He wrote this to show us that God's power comes through weak vessels yielded to Jesus. You see, these guys were boasting in the wrong things. These super apostles were boasting in speaking skills. They were boasting about what it meant to be a great leader, boasting about heavenly visions, boasting about miracles. It's not productive, Paul says. He makes it plain that when we are to boast, we boast actually in our weakness. This thorn in the flesh, we don't really know what it is. We just know that it was given to make him humble, to make him rely, to make him pray, to make him yield and kneel himself before a loving Heavenly Father who says to him, I will not take away your thorn in the flesh. For my power is perfected in your weakness. Paul, your strength is coming from the things you suffer. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? That, that God would allow you and me to go through the storms of this life that his power could flow through us in a mighty way. Uh, Linda mentioned this morning uh, our DOM, our Director of Mission, Bobby Fletcher, his daughter, Lindsay, is 
potentially in a coma this morning, right? She is, uh, we know Lindsay, many of us who know the story, we know that she should not be alive. She has endured years and years and years of her spinal bifida. And many years ago, doctors said she shouldn't even make it to her teenage years. She shouldn't make it to her childhood years. She should not be alive. And a couple years ago, we know she went through cancer treatment. And she may, in the next few hours, barring a miracle of God, go home to be with the Lord. But she is a prayer warrior. She lifts up many of these pastors throughout our association on her bed. She listens to sermons of her brother Mark preach at Elmont Baptist Church. And I know the kind of person that she is. She loves Jesus. And the power of her testimony and the reason that God has used her in the lives, I think, of countless ministers, not to mention church members, down through the years, that the power of God has flowed through her sickness and her weakness. Powerful testimony of what God can do through people who suffer pain, hurt, physical, emotional, spiritual. A thorn in the flesh was given Paul, but not for the reason that you and I think. It was so that the power of God could flow through him in a mighty, mighty way. So how does suffering make us God's chosen vessel of power? The truth is that none of us have probably ever taken a course on suffering when it comes to leadership management. Anybody ever take a business administration course at Grayson College or Austin College and the course was called Suffering 101? But in God's economy, that is how he makes leaders. That is how he makes men and women of God. It is in suffering and in the times of great trial when you are willing to drink the cup of the Lord as Jesus did from the Garden of Gethsemane and on to the cross, you can become a vessel that God's power flows through. It's the economy of the cross that speaks and teaches us that suffering is a refining fire that makes us into the image of Jesus that we need to be. And not all suffering produces good fruit, by the way. Maybe you were wondering. Because a lost man in Africa or China or somewhere across the world can suffer hunger and still be lost, right? Doesn't necessarily make him a man of God just to be hungry. Many people suffer all over the world right now. Right in this moment, there are people with all kinds of various sicknesses, and had they lived in the United States, it might be easily curable. But for the believer in Jesus, everything that comes through to us can be used for us. God can use everything for our good. Not everything that happens to us is good. Not everything that happens to us is even the will of God. In that, can't, if someone, you know, murders your child, you can't say, well, it was the will of God that happened. Oh, really? You're going to make God the author of evil? You're going to say that he's a murderer and that he wants to kill people? 
No, there is sin in this world and people have free will and people can choose to do heinous, horrible things. But everything that comes to me through the loving hands of God, even another man's free will, God can use it for my good. So Paul mentions that suffering, it was suffering that put his spirit in the right place to to hear God's call. I don't know if you remember this, but it was Paul on the road to Damascus. He was knocked off his horse, blinded, right? Where he sat blind for three days. And then he was given the call. What was his call? Paul, God is going to show you what you must suffer for his sake. That was the first thing God said to him about his call. How many of you would sign up for that? God's going to show you how much you must suffer. It was suffering that put my spirit in the right place to heed God's call into full-time ministry. Sarah had just lost Isaiah, our first uh, unborn child, at 16 weeks. The doctor came in and said, hey, we're, we're not going to do a DNC, but we are going to give you this little pill, and the umbilical cord has stopped developing, and, and this child is dead. And you have to deliver this dead baby, this 16-week fetus. We held... Isaiah in my hands stretched from here to here and it was in that moment that the Lord began to speak to me about the fleeting nature of life and how so quickly it is here and it is gone and that you cannot waste one moment and one more second of your life Brian he said you've got to heed my call and go into the ministry Suffering that propelled me. Suffering takes the veil off the physical world and shows us what lies beyond. It makes us cry out that there's more to life than this when we suffer. Give me a man who has stayed faithful to Christ through testing and trials and storms and I will follow that man to the ends of the earth as he preaches Christ. Suffering can make us into God's chosen vessel. These are the only things Paul told the church that are worth bragging about. We do not know what the thorn in the flesh was, but we know that it involved suffering. And it would seem to me in the realm of physical suffering, it just sounds physical, doesn't it? Thorn in the flesh. It is for the sake of Jesus that Paul endures it, knowing that in his weakness he is strong. So what are these signs of a true apostle? The uh, super apostles had said that these signs involved visions and they involved great speaking and they involved taking money uh, from the church and mishandling it and misusing them. Uh, they had bragging and they were slandering Paul about how crafty he was is what they said. Paul says that the signs of the true apostle were performed before them. Humility godly teaching, unwillingness to be a burden, and then also the miracles that he performed before them. He was their spiritual father, he said. They were using them. The super apostles were using them. And he, instead of taking from their resources, was seeking their souls. He said, is it fathers that take from children? He said, no, spiritual fathers spend and are spent for their children. 
He said, I am your spiritual father. You need to throw out these super apostles because all they're doing is taking and they ain't giving. The signs of a true apostle is that they will sacrifice for the gospel ministry. It is when they want their ministry to not be half-hearted. These folks give 110%. I want to tell you, we live in a time when people give Jesus their leftovers. They give Jesus the very last bit of time they have. And I want to encourage you, believer, from the little one on down to the oldest person in the room, don't give Jesus your leftovers. Give him everything you have. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. You see, it is so important that the church teach what it means to be a Christian is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Sunday school teacher, that means that even though you're having a busy week, that we give our 110% because we know those kids and those adults are relying upon us every Sunday, every Wednesday night to give the very best message from the gospel we can give. Deacon, that means those people that are out there, those shut-ins, those sick ones. And I'll tell you what, we got some of the best teachers and leaders in this church. But each one of us can, this morning look at our hearts and see whether or not we are really giving our all for Jesus. And Paul said he would spend and be spent for the gospel because that's what matters. We need to give God our all. When the laymen pray earnestly for their other brothers and sisters on their bedside, when the worship team really worships God and brings people to the throne room, when the deacons serve as they do when the Sunday school teachers teach when the pastor ministers to the flock as he should sacrificially when the people see that they must give their all to Jesus Paul would spend and be spent for you what are you spending your life on this morning what is consuming you what has priority in your life Paul said, spiritual fathers, the real mark is that they will spend and be spent. Listen, um, being a parent is hard in this day and age. And uh, I have five of them. And I am constantly finding, and they're finding, my own hypocrisy. You know, it's that time when mother comes to the child and says, I heard you just said something. Well, Dad, she says it. Uh-oh. You know? Being a parent is hard. Being a spiritual father is not easy. But I want to tell you, there is a great reward for those who sacrifice, for those who give 110% to the Lord. There is a reward laid up in heaven for you. <coughs> One day, we can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what did Paul fear? At the very end of this, in verse 20 and 21, he 
he says, I'm, I'm afraid that when I come to you, I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. What Paul is scared of is not the finances of the church. What Paul is scared of is, is not whether or not uh, the lost world outside is, is going to persecute the church or whatever, or the politics or the government of the time. Paul is not scared of any of that. Listen to what Paul's scared of. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder in the church. These are the things that tear a church apart. And we should all be afraid of these things. Disorder in the church is born out of hateful attitudes and actions and disunity and quarreling and things that aren't reconciled, and gossip is a tool by Satan to slander each other and tear down the image of Christ and other people. And some worry that their church will be destroyed by some leader in the church that commits some form of immorality, but there is a greater chance that these things will destroy the church even before the immorality will. Oftentimes, the immorality that Paul said was in Corinth and also is in the American church is actually not the cause of these things. It's the, almost a symptom. These are the things that are tearing the American church apart, the American families and the American institutions. If you think for a moment with me, I've, I've been uh, in full-time ministry, well, since 2000, if we go back to Africa, but if we talk about just Baptist churches since 2004, December of 2004, in every single one of these churches I've been in, there's always been issues of this nature come up and arise. Now, I'll be honest, the first two churches were a lot tougher than you guys. And we had a lot of quarrels, a lot of fighting. One always handled like it should have been handled. You guys have been pretty good to me and my family and to each other. But if we're not careful, these things slip in very easily. We need to make sure that we guard our hearts from relationships that are unreconciled. That we need to love each other and cover a multitude of sins when our brother hurts us. You see, Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, let me add, can dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil running down the head, running down the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the anointing of God falling upon His temple, His priest, His church. Do you want God to be pleased with Forest Avenue Baptist Church? Do you want His anointing to fall, His manifest presence and His favor to fall on this church? Love each other. 
dwell together in unity. Reconcile with one another. Forgive. And the Spirit of God will rest on this place like never before. Become a vessel that God's power can flow through. And when you're suffering, and when you're going through hurts, even from another brother or sister, do whatever it takes to show them you love them and care for them and reconcile with them. Endure hardship knowing that Jesus Christ endured the cross for you and I. And that His power is made perfect in weakness. Would you pray with me this morning? Hello, my name is Pastor Brian Taylor, and you're listening to the sermon series of 2 Corinthians. Our church is Forest Avenue Baptist Church, and we want to welcome you to come join us. Our address is 106 West Forest Avenue, Sherman, Texas, 75090, and our service times are 930 for Sunday school and 1045 for worship. You can contact us online at www.fabcsherman.com or call us at 903-892-3506. We pray that the Lord blesses you through His Word, and thank you for listening.